yeah, here I am, retired now, and uh, aimed now mostly at the pro-life cause. All right, folks, welcome back to Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, a show within the Pro-Life Guys podcast where we explore the lives of the defenders of the defenseless, talking to the incredible women and men across the country and around the world who are sacrificing their time and energy for preborn children to save their lives, to help educate people around the country and and share a little bit about what their role in the pro-life movement looks like. Um, so often in, in our country, in our culture, um, the only narrative about the pro-life movement is put forth by mainstream media. And I think it's important that we start telling our own story and hearing the stories from people like the guests that I have joining me today. Tim, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Cam. So we're right into a cold spell, so it's, it feels like minus 40 out, so... Bingo. There Welcome to Canada. It's nice to be inside. Yeah. <laughs> True, <Thanks>. enough. <laughs> True enough. True um, enough. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining today. I To kick us off, I, I love starting with the question about who you are kind of outside the pro-life movement. So often pro-lifers are portrayed as these people who live, eat, and breathe only the pro-life movement. We're, we're pro-life machines and whatnot. And, and I'm sure there's a few of those out there. And yet um, we're so much more than a pro-life machine. And I, I just, I'm curious, if someone were to ask you, who is Tim Scatliff? What would you say? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I've, uh, I've been married to my wife, Louise, now for 48 years this month. Um, and uh, I've been retired for well we've both been retired for over a dozen years so it's uh, it's been really nice it's that time of your life uh, we have four children um, we've got two nurses and uh, we have two computer engineers uh, and last count 11 grandchildren uh, we have you know I've uh, my background is in software development um, I was in software development uh, from about a year before we got married for about 35 years and mostly in the brokerage industry. And um, yeah, so I've got my hobbies. I just love the outdoors. I love canoeing. I love archery. In fact, it was through archery that I met my wife. Uh, I've also loved to travel, um, love to visit with family and friends around fires and things like that especially as we get older, we don't carry the canoe as well. I used to love dune buggies. I used to love getting off-roading in the background and uh, building dune buggies. Um, my dad was an astronomer. He sort of got me into that, so I'm pretty keen about that as well, but mostly mostly uh, growing up and uh, not so much legally. A lot of road trips, a lot of photography, a lot of videography, and... Uh, yeah, trying to put together videos for family and friends. And so that's, oh, and I've traveled quite a bit, um, you know, with my job through um, 
through the software development into uh, Western Europe, um, North America, United States mostly, uh, and also Japan. So it's been sort of an interesting, especially in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, the career. So yeah, here I am retired now and uh, aimed now mostly at the pro-life cause. Very good. Very good. I One of my favorite things to do, I talk to my wife constantly about how one of these days we'll have to take a, a family trip out to Winnipeg because the only way that this conversation would be even better is if we were doing it around a campfire. I've enjoyed several campfire discussions with you about all sorts of things um, in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and, and I look forward to more, Lord willing, in the future. To dive into kind of the, the wheat, meat and potatoes, as it were, of of the thrust of this this um, kind of series, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement. You, you mentioned now a lot of your focus, um, now that you're retired, is working within the pro-life movement. And yet this isn't something that has emerged only in, in recent years. You've been actively involved in the pro-life movement for many years now in a variety of different ways. And I'm I'm curious, Scott Klusendorf puts it very well that he often says that people aren't um, invited into the pro-life movement, they're summoned. They're, there's some kind of a summoning um, of them into the pro-life movement, some moment or some interaction that kind of opened their eyes to how they can be involved, how they can um, contribute towards the pro-life movement. And I, I'm curious, I don't know if you have a very specific summoning kind of story, but tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in the pro-life movement and what that looked like. Well, it's, uh, you know, a lot to do with course, the age, I'll be 72 this year. Um, at the time that I was, you know, at, uh, in high school, uh, abortion really wasn't an issue. And uh, we were also families were very, kind of, you know, they go to church every Sunday. Um, we were really the first of the baby boomers. Uh, so we, uh, you know, we grew up, um, I would say, quite privileged. Um, our parents came from the war. Uh, my mother was uh, uh, graduated from nursing here in Saint, uh, in Winnipeg at St. Boniface Hospital and uh, took a vacation to England in 1939. Uh, <laughs> uh, her return ticket never really uh, worked for several years. Um, so uh, she, uh, yeah, so she actually obviously lived in uh, England during the Battle of Britain uh, she actually lived in Brighton after uh, uh, for a while after she got married to my dad. My dad was a uh, just graduated from medicine at that time, and he met uh, my mother uh, while they were doing uh, you know child birthing uh, child. My my mom was taking uh, you know how to how to be uh, how to deliver babies and 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 be a good uh, a midwife, and uh, so that's what she did during the war. Um, and they actually lived in Brighton. They moved from London to Brighton, and they lived right on the seacoast. And they saw the German pilots coming right off the English Channel. And uh, and my oldest brother had been born at that time. And uh, so they saw all that work. So when they came back, um, yeah, they started raising a family, and they forgot entirely about they didn't want us to suffer, and we got spoiled, I think. Our generation was spoiled. So by the time I was in, I would say, grade 12, abortion started coming up um, as a topic. Um, It was sort of approaching the omnibus bill. um, And 
what uh, and my dad happened to be the medical director of Misericordia Hospital, so it was a very serious thing for Catholic hospitals at the time. Uh, Sisters of Misericord were very much involved in helping um, young women in crisis. They had, uh, you know, they they had a, a center for helping them, um, you know, deliver the baby and, and survive uh, and and grow up go on to live a good life in that. And, uh, and my dad was some, you know, that was sort of very dear to his heart. So I guess I was pro-life from my parents is very clear. Um, so, yeah. So uh, also uh, at that time, because my dad was so involved in the movement, we started getting involved with the League for Life. And we started seeing the horrors of abortion. We started seeing the pamphlets, the images of the victims of abortion. And uh, that was a huge and and sort of horrible start to realize really that we're starting to do this in Canada. And that was, uh, so we got involved. My, um, we started um, volunteering uh, fairly, probably after we had our first three children, um, we would still be, uh, we would be involved with um, League for Life, which is now Life's Vision. And um, my wife became president of Life's Vision, <laughs> one hand with her, our youngest, <laughs> he was four years old, she'd bring him to the office and she was president uh, of Winnipeg Life's Vision. Um, my sister also took on that role when my uh, when my wife's term was up, and then my sister-in-law took that role. So family conversations were pretty much, you know, about about pro-life cause, and uh, and our parish priest was an incredibly strong uh, preacher on pro-life. There wasn't a Sunday that would go by without him reminding us <laughs> we have to protect those pre-born, those innocent children in that. Um, so it, yeah, but really convicted in that. And I also, you know, I also had a friend of mine who's, um, you know, whose uh, sister had got pregnant um, and their parents um, really coerced her into having an abortion. She was underage. Um, and you know, that, that really, killed their relationships. Um, she, she moved away as soon as she could. She moved away from Winnipeg and uh, they basically really never saw her again. She just left them. And I, it was a very heartbreaking thing for my friend and his family. And uh, yeah, they, in those days, I don't think they treated women very well at all, women in crisis. And uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes they were shamed um, so it wasn't long before we got really involved in the crisis pregnancy centers to, uh, to sort of at least volunteer and help out. I mean, there's so much there that we could um, unpack. I think that's so cool. How, how much of a, a family, family endeavor it was really with, with, um, League for Life there in, in Winnipeg and, and throughout Manitoba and how this was, this was something that you was built into the, the culture of your family, your extended family through your sister-in-law as well. And, and obviously this being passed down to you from your parents. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I'm sure that there are many, many in the audience who might be, um, 
very, very um, wishing that they too had a priest or a pastor who represented the life issue as frequently. I, I've heard stories of of the homilies and and other speeches that that you've shared with me about um, life issues presented by your your priest in those kind of formative years as a, a young family, and and that kind of has grown and grown. I know that um, having served with you on the board of Life Canada, another nonprofit pro-life organization that is kind of an umbrella group. I know that you've been involved with um, Manitoba Life's Vision and Life's Vision Winnipeg as well. Um, hopefully I got those the right way around and not, not opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe share a little bit. So you've been involved in various ways, Knights of Columbus as well, um, as a, a director of life and family. Maybe... Are there any kind of stories or, or events that stand out in the last kind of several decades that, that you think of when you think of your role in the movement? What has it been like kind of observing the growth and I'm sure in, in some ways ebbs and flows of pro-life outreach and pro-life action, how it's manifest in different ways and different times, that kind of thing. What has it been like being somebody who's been involved for, for as long as you have in the cause of life? Well, that's an awfully good question, Cam. And, and I must say that uh, there was a time uh, from the time my wife got involved um, to maybe the mid-1980s um, when computers first came out that I was, that I was involved quite a bit. Um, and then what happened is I got involved with my career. My family was growing up. Um, we only had one person working, so finances were always a struggle. So we really had to focus on, uh, I had to focus on my career and keep, <laughs> keep growing it. Um, I did get, uh, you know, so the last thing I was doing really before I got back in my career was, uh, you know, computers became uh, very wonderful tools. And we had an old addressograph machine at uh, the League for Life. Um, we also were involved with the Alliance for Life of Canada, um, Anna Desilly, of the uh, you know the one million signatures in that for the Parliament. Uh, but you know, tracking all this was very hard. So I got so I developed a, a program first in COBOL and then in Pascal to manage the donations that were coming in, the addresses, so we could get rid of all this mechanical stuff. Um, now that sort of after that, I sort of got into more back into my career and, uh, you know, focused on it and really didn't come back to the pro-life movement other than financially supporting them until I retired from 2007. Gotcha. 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 And I mean, speaking from as somebody who isn't very tech savvy at all, I, I know how valuable, how important, like you said, kind of laying those foundations of being able to track mm -hmm. even the, mm -hmm. the uh, contact yeah. lists and mailing lists and whatnot. I, while I was active in, in Victoria, where I grew up, um, Choose Life Victoria passed on, they must have passed on a dozen, maybe even two dozen binders full of not only newspaper clippings, but also just like loose leaf paper with email addresses as email became a thing, but more and more, um, even so mailing addresses and whatnot. And how important technology is in any movement, let alone the pro-life movement, where we have people from all over the country um, involved and, and contributing, like you said, financially or, or with an, an hour or two here or there. So, 
you retired then in 2007 and right. and that kind of gave you an opportunity to get more involved in in local pro-life work not even just in Winnipeg but also provincially and nationally and for some people, when they look at retirement, they say, oh, finally, I can I can get my golf membership at the local um, <laughs> golf course, or I'm going to fly around and see the world. And, and not to say, I, I don't know if you're a golfer, but I know that you've had some very, very cool family trips and road trips and whatnot, canoeing and, and all sorts of things. But maybe share a little bit about how seeing this opportunity to get more involved, you you didn't necessarily take the the easy route of retirement and just put your feet up and and pack on the the retirement 40 kind of um dealing with retirement that way but rather saw this as an opportunity to get more involved in the pro life movement what was that like for you you know it was a it really was a wonderful experience i actually uh met uh, an older woman at uh, at a church event one day um in in the city here and she was wearing all these sort of life pins and everything like that and I, she was helping herself to a cup of coffee so I went up to her and I started talking with her about you know how's it going what's what's the movement like again you know and on and on we had a great talk and uh, she invited me to one of the meetings um, and uh, I really I really liked um, the people I worked with I really liked their values um, their passion um, you know the charity that they showed uh, it was really good for me to get back involved. I just felt it uh, like returning home, if you wish, you know. Um, I also met a lot of, because of that, I met a lot of the other people uh, in the city and in the province who were involved in pro-life. And, uh, you know, we really connected. Um, I, I like them very much and I like what they're doing. And I felt better when I go home at night, I would feel better. Um, I felt at least we're doing something. Um, and I really saw a need out there. I, I believe strongly that there are so many people who are pro-life, but they're so silent on it. They're just not talking about it. And in the meantime, the culture of death starts to progress and progress and progress. And, you know, people sort of deny the slippery slope, but it's there. That is so evident. Uh, we see that now with... You know, Bill C-7 and uh, euthanasia, assisted suicide. Uh, sort of horrified last last week when we saw it in the States with uh, allowing, you know, uh, babies to die uh, if they were born with a failed uh, abortion. Um, those, that movement, I mean, you've, we've seen it all the way along in that last, uh, you know, since 2007 for me. Um, I've seen that when I've got involved and that just kept inspiring me to keep going. See, the other thing, I was talked into by one of our fellow parishioners to join the Knights of Columbus. I had never, I had never belonged. My dad was a knight, um, but I'd never belonged. Uh, neither did my brothers. And so what I did do is join that. And um, I found a lot of people there that were so passionate as well about the life issues. And I found it very valuable to me to get that connection. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the Knights of Columbus. I So I've been a knight, or I must admit, a an inactive Knight of Columbus for, for quite a while now. But I, I think that for a lot of Catholic sounds, and I know that not all of our, or, or not many of our audience are Catholic, but for those who are, sometimes the Knights of Columbus are perceived as 
is only being dedicated towards life insurance. And, and that's so often they, they do life insurance and they make really good pancakes. And yet um, the life insurance has been a major cornerstone for the Knights of Columbus ever since their um, inception, really, and, and has become a, a bigger and bigger focus. I know that there's countless councils across the country that have fundraised enormous amounts of money for ultrasound machines or for, for wheelchairs for people with disabilities um, towards the end of their life or, or all sorts of other programs. And maybe as somebody who is quite familiar with the Knights of Columbus and what they do for the life issues, whether it's abortion or euthanasia, maybe if you could share just a, a summary or just a thought on that for somebody who isn't aware of what the Knights of Columbus are about, especially as it pertains to the life issues, I guess. Well, sure. Thank you. Thank you for asking that, Cam. Uh, the Knights of Columbus are incredibly uh, involved in protecting the what the widows and the orphans. The, in, the, in the late 1800s, that's really why it was set up, because there were men dying and there were families that were left without money, without a provider. Uh, so that that is really why the insurance company was set up. That's And also, they wanted insurance that was ethical. They wanted to make sure that they were investing in uh, products and, and, and companies that, that were ethical, that were following um, what, you know, what, what really Christ has taught us, you know. Um, so, so that was very important. Um, the ultrasound initiative was something that started, I'm not sure how long ago it was started. Um, I know it was in play when I joined the Knights of Columbus. I think I joined in about 2009 or 2010. Um, and now they have over 1,300 ultra machine, ultrasound machines that they donate um, across, mostly across North, you know, across the United States, because um, they do have three provinces in Canada where they've donated. But our healthcare system is so much different, and it's very difficult to bring in an ultrasound machine that, uh, except through the healthcare system. Um, but it's, it's saved countless, countless women who have seen uh, their child uh, and, and seen that this is just not a clump of cells. This is a living, living child. So that's really good. I, I wanted to read something to you here. This is uh, the Supreme Knight. So this is the guy, the top knight, if you wish, um, from Connecticut, who is worldwide the top knight. He's actually retiring uh, at the end of February, I believe it is. Um, but uh, his name is uh, Carl Anderson, Supreme Knight Carl Anderson. And he said, he said this last week, he said, in the late 20th century and into the 21st, no issue has been more important in the United States than abortion. Abortion is the issue of the day in which an entire class of people have been not denied their humanity completely. The very personhood of the unborn is denied, and the consequences in the United States alone has been 50 million deaths. This is, it is the priority for the Knights of Columbus, uh, is the life issues, the culture of life. And yes, there are other there's about three other programs, but the life program is is the most important one. I, I've been so appreciative of the, the leadership that the Knights have taken in so many initiatives across Canada. And I, I read about them in the magazines that come out um, throughout the states and around the world as well. Um, just one or two more questions for you as, as we start to 
to move towards the kind of call to action, as it were. One thing that I've always appreciated, I've known you, I, I would say, for five or six years now, um, since I first joined the Life Canada board with you. Um, and one thing that I've always been impressed with is while while each pro-life organization has slightly different focuses and whatnot, I've really been encouraged by the work that you've been able to do within the church often. Uh, there's groups like CCBR and others that are are out on on doorsteps and street corners and whatnot. And and not to say that that Life's Vision Winnipeg isn't about that, but I, I've really respected the amount of investment that you guys have put into developing a stronger foundation among Catholics, among Christians within the pews, because it's going to be difficult to make up ground if our own foundation is sliding away from under our own feet. And so just a curious thought on how things have gone and why you've kind of chosen to focus in some ways, not that it, again, it's not the only thing that you guys do, but it, in some ways, I, I think of it as one of the things that you really excel upon in Winnipeg and throughout Manitoba of engaging people within within the pews so that they have that strong foundation so that we're not hemorrhaging pro-lifers as we have been for many decades now, I feel like. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Cam. Uh, you know, when we first started the League for Life way back when, we did pretty well everything like the activism. We did the, you know, we, we did education. Uh, we did debates on the radio. We did a lot of different things, but really the pro-life cause has grown so much stronger and we're getting so many other groups like CCBR, um, like uh, CLC, Campaign Life, like the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, you know. Um, we need a lot. Life Canada, you know, there's just so many other organizations that are doing so well. So what we're trying to do with Life's Vision is we think our niche is to get education into the people, into the Christian communities, because even with like Pew Research uh, in 2016, uh, they indicated that there is so much work left to do in our churches. There's too many people. They're not only silent on the issue of abortion uh, and assisted suicide for that matter, um, but they're also, even the statistics uh, one in four pregnancies end by abortion. It's not so much different in the Christian community. And that's that's terrible. We know better than that, or we should be. And of course, we're all, <laughs> the, the Christian churches are all, as our Pope used to say, um, a field hospital <laughs> for the wounded. And we're all like that, right? And, uh, you know, we aren't, uh, we don't go to, we aren't following the church necessarily because of the, the people who are in the church, whether it be, you know, the priests, the clothes. We're, we're doing it because of Christ's teaching. We're doing it because Christ taught us how to, you know, how to value life, what is, what is meaningful, and, and that sort of thing. So our focus on life's vision is uh, we have, we have basically four anchors, five anchors really, but four important ones. The fir first one, um, the first two are really to do about Christian unity. Um, this is something that we might, uh, Catholics and non-Catholics, they might disagree a little bit about how to interpret scripture or even, you know, um, you know, e e even 
some other aspects, uh, whether it be, you know, secular aspects. It's like, we may differ from that, but, you know, we don't differ on the value that thou shalt not kill and that life begins at conception and, and should end at natural death. So, and Christian unity is so important in this. So anchor number one is really for us to reach into the pews, reach into the churches of the non-Catholic Christians and get them involved and get them, uh, you know, get them, uh, I guess, aware of, of, of it's how important it is to uh, have your voice heard. Um, you know, even in families, you know, like how do we talk to our families about these difficult questions like abortion? How do we how do we do so in a very respectful, um, in a very articulate, a very truthful way, so that we can convince, you know, and, and commit our own family, our children, um, our in-laws, you know, like son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, uh, our grandchildren, who are in our, our case, our grandchildren are young adults now and coming up to young adults. How do we talk about that and? Um, so education is very important in anchor number one, the non-Catholic community, and anchor number two, which is a Catholic community, which is a different tradition. Right? It, it has more of a hierarchy. So you approach things differently. Um, and I have found that CCPR is one of our go-to places for quality education that basically follows those things. It's charitable, it's effective, it's it's really true to our faith, um, and it's wonderfully and very professionally done. So we've, uh, with Life's Vision, we've actually, as you know, Cam, we've licensed the CCPR uh, study series on how we respond uh, to a Christian's response. And uh, we are out as much as we can. If it wasn't for COVID, we'd be hosting every night, <laughs> you know, a small group to educate people and that sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's not that they don't, they're brilliant, they're smart people, but everybody is so busy and you really, it's a tough subject. And so therefore, because it's a tough subject, some people just don't get involved and we want to change that. We want them to be comfortable talking with their family and friends. So those are the two key anchors. We do have a fifth anchor, which is prayer, and there's no order. But we do we do have a lot of uh, focus on having prayer teams um, in all denominations praying to an end uh, to abortion and to assisted suicide. Very good, very good. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head of of the absolute importance to to be able and willing to to give a defense of the pro-life worldview i feel like what what will bring change in our society we often talk about transforming society back into one which rejects abortion that isn't going to be achieved by by sweeping political movements that mm -hmm. um just come up out of nowhere sort of thing that happens family by family neighborhood by neighborhood, conversations you have with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family members. And then later on, those end up influencing right. politicians and, and other major decision makers. But it's often that groundwork, often that, that conversation, which 
is the most important, most important in getting us to that society in which we reject all forms of abortion. And, and as you mentioned, we also are pushing back against euthanasia, assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. We, we can't rely on the courts. We can't rely on politicians, not because they're inherently bad people, but because as a country which which still proclaims to be a democracy and, and just a, a society of, of human beings, we are relational people and we need to change culture person by person and not try to um, find a silver bullet of how a politician can ramrod through even even a good pro-life law, but without engaging the people. We we cannot get around the fact that sooner or later we're gonna have to talk to our friends and family members about this issue. And I'm I'm glad that you guys have um, been able to make use of that study series that you mentioned. I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes to make sure that anyone who's curious about it can find it on our website. The final question that I wanted to throw to you, Tim, that I know that you've been so involved in in various different ways and and getting more and more people involved in the movement and whatnot. And and I wonder if you could offer uh, some kind of, whether it's inspiration or, or instruction or whatever it may be for somebody, if there's somebody who watches this video or has been following along the Pro-Life Guys podcast and says, I want to get involved, I just don't know if I'm ready. What word of encouragement could you offer um, for somebody who wants to get involved but is maybe hesitant to do so? Why should they get involved actively in the pro-life movement? Well, that's uh, that's that's an incredibly powerful, uh, you know, goal for us to get people inspired and get people out there to help out. I think there are so many ways you can help out. Um, you know, if your strength is is um, helping people um, feel value or helping people like, for example, a crisis pregnancy, uh, being able to raise, you know, have, have projects to raise funds or maybe ra- get material, whether it be diapers, whether it be formula, whether it be just being there for people that are having crisis pregnancies or at the end of life, visiting. If, if that's what you do well, visit the sick. Um, just visit them and make them feel like they really are important. They have meaning in their life. And, and that's where, you know, the book that, uh, that, that Blaise Allaid and, uh, and Jonathan Ben-Marin did on uh, Guide to Discussing Assisted Suicide talks a lot about that, you know, the old idea uh, of, of being present for someone. Uh, Kevin Dunn does some wonderful work with his thing on, on uh that, and especially some of those recent videos are not just not just um, uh, fatal flaws and that sort of thing, but you know the power of presence and that sort of thing. Uh, also, Stephanie Gray uh, Connors' uh, new book, uh, just actually on uh, going into chapter three of that book, and it's just absolutely uh, wonderful uh, help. So you can get comfortable in talking about these issues. Um, again, I will go back to the CCBR study guide. Um, you go through those five, uh, you know, those five videos and you have the discussion with the small group you're in, you feel so much more comfortable uh, talking about this. So you can actually have those conversations, you know, finding common ground uh, so that, and, and asking questions so that you, you do show that you respect people's opinion. Um, and, and that there is a lot of things in common. Um, 
even some people, uh, you know, you, you may find a lot of people that say they're pro-choice, but really they, they're mostly pro-life. They don't believe in abortion after a certain time. And yet they call themselves pro-choice because they, they believe in this, uh, this idea of tolerance, which uh, absolutely tolerance is a wonderful idea to limit. Uh, we don't tolerate <laughs> killing uh, children. We don't tolerate killing, you know, uh, toddlers. We don't, we, we really recognize. Uh, my wife and I, for example, have, um, have had two miscarriages uh, for number five and number six, um, you know, back in the mid 80s. Um, uh, we, uh, you could help people like, that who are suffering, people that that do need, uh, you know, some sort of uh, healing in their lives, um, post-abortive healing. Um, there's a lot that you can do there. So you can volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center, even if you aren't uh, doing any sort of visiting. You learn from them, right? You by osmosis, just being there, doing this, and you can participate. Prayer is another way. Uh, you you may not be able to get out. You may be older. You may may be a powerful prayer warrior. Please pray for the cause. You know there's just so many ways. But the first way I think is make sure you're convinced. And there's a lot of ways to get convinced about the plan. Uh, well, the movie Unplanned. There's one way to start. There's uh, uh, there's these educational things we talked about, you can be convinced quite easy, and then you can be sort of convicted. You've got to step up to the cause. And you've got to say something. If you're silent, you know the other side is you're really basically, by your non-speaking, you're really helping the culture of death. Mm-hmm. And and what a great note to end on, this idea that it's not just one single role that we're looking for. It's not just a, a cookie cutter, you have to be able to get out this many literature packages per hour, mm-hmm. drop in the mailboxes. It's not just a single role that fits into the pro-life worldview. Like you said, there's so many different things that people can do based on your temperament, based on yes. your experience or your skill set or your, your charism, whatever it may be. And, and yet, like you said, at the end of the day, the first step is preparing yourself, whether that's a book, whether that's a video series, whether that's an article that you read online to really ground ourselves well in what the pro-life worldview truly stands for, that it's not a condemnation of mothers who have chosen abortion, but rather a condemnation of an action and a deep service towards those who, um, are, are encountering these challenging pregnancies so that mother, father, and child can all be supported through whatever it is that they're going through. I think that's a beautiful way to, to think of what is necessary for the pro-life movement. A whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different walks of life and, and skill sets and, and abilities all doing what they can to make the world a little bit more humane, a little bit more supportive, I suppose. Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Tim, for joining. I, I'm sure that we could go on and on and on about um, different ways people can get involved, different stories from the past decade or, or so. Um, since your retirement, I really appreciate you giving the time to to share with us a little bit about your journey and your role in the pro-life movement. And for those of you who are tuning in, this is a, a series. We've got lots of other episodes of Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, but not only that, we also have our two other series 
our kind of flagship series, the Pro-Life Guys podcast, where we cover conversation tools and skills that you can apply on the street with your friends, with your family members, whomever it is you're talking to, as well as our new series called The Pulse, in which we round up all of the important and interesting pro-life news from around the world so that you know what is going on. Thank you again, Tim. Super appreciate it. And and I wish you and Louise and the family all the best there in Winnipeg. I know that it's cold. I know that um, the, the walls start closing in during COVID, but I, I wish you guys all the best down there. Thank you so much, Cam, for what you do. And uh, the last thing I would say is it's really good to be able to support people like yourself, like CCPR, like Life Vision, monthly donations of $10, for example, or more. Wonderful stuff. You get enough people doing it, then you can really help out in this cause. But thanks so much, Ken. God bless. We'll put both the website for, for Winnipeg Life Vision and CCBR in the show notes. And if you're in a position and able to do so, we'd love to yeah have your financial partnership as well so that we can engage more people. So have a great rest of your day wherever you're at. And I hope you're able to tune in next time. Thanks so much. <laughs>